in our lives, we have what I call divinely orchestrated moments. All through our life, we will have these divinely orchestrated moments, and they will alter your life. They will change the direction of your life. Happened in my life several times. The most dramatic time that it changed my life was many years ago, um, more than 40 years ago, and I was sitting in a trailer all by myself, Grapevine, Texas, reading the Bible, disillusioned, discouraged, having been told that God was finished with me, and how could I keep going? And in the midst of that discouraging time, I read Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, and it says there, he said, I would that you'd be hot or cold, for if you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. And I had always read that and thought about how that it influenced and impacted everybody else. But this time, the Holy Spirit turned that to me. And he said, Renee, all your life, you've been lukewarm. Not hot, not cold. And you know, he was right. I'd grown up in church, given my heart to Jesus when I was little. Had loved God, had even surrendered for special service, whatever that meant. I wasn't really sure what that meant. But I believed God had a call upon my life when I was a teenager, and yet I was still just lukewarm. And it was that night when God spoke that word to me. He said, you're going to have to make a decision tonight, Renee. You're going to have to be either hot or cold. No more lukewarm. If you want me to use you, you're going to have to make a decision. And that night, I opened my arms to the Lord and I said, okay. I don't know what it means. I don't know what's going to take me. I don't know what's going to happen in my life. But I said, I'll come hot. I'll be hot for you, Lord. Whatever that means, I won't hold anything back. And it altered my entire life. It changed the direction of my life. My, my, my life changed from focusing on music and singing to preaching. And then, of course, I ended up here. <laughs> you know, the Lord altered the direction of my life. And I want to say to you that God can divinely orchestrate your life this morning. You can have one of those divinely orchestrated moments where God speaks to you and changes the direction of your life. Today, I want to talk to you about a king in Israel that had one of these divinely orchestrated moments to actually an amazing moment, if you think about it. We're going to talk about King Solomon. And King Solomon had a dream one night, early in his reign. God appeared to him. Let's read it. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5, it says this, That night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, 
What do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. How would you like to get that kind of request from God? (laughs) Ask whatever you will, and I'll give it to you. That's pretty amazing, especially spoken by the God of this universe who could do anything. And his answer, his response to this question, to this divinely orchestrated moment, altered the direction of his life. You see, when you and I, if you become born again, if you know Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, when you got born again, it was a divinely orchestrated moment. God set everything up. He had people praying for you. And then as people prayed for you, he moved this and he moved that and he changed this and he changed that. And maybe God has been working in your life to bring you to this point today. To have one of these divinely orchestrated moments where God can move in your life and he can change the direction of your life. So we're going to talk about Solomon because his response to this question changed everything. The very first thing that we're going to look at as a life lesson from King Solomon, and that is that our greatest choice is to serve others. Let's look at his choice. It's in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 6 through 9. Solomon replied, You showed great and faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. You've continued to show this great faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on the throne. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made me a king instead of my father David. Look at this. But I'm like a little child who doesn't know his way around. How many of you have ever felt like that? You have no idea what's going on. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they cannot be counted. Here's this request. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? Solomon made the decision to say, I want something from you so I can serve your people. He could have asked for riches, fame. He could have asked for anything he wanted, but he asked for wisdom and understanding so that he could have the ability to wisely lead the people of God. And right there, he taught us a life lesson that continues even in the New Testament. Because this choice is exactly what Jesus talked about. Look what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 42 through 45. It says, So Jesus called them together, as this is his disciples, and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Now he's talking to us. Whoever wants to be your leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, 
but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. It was his life to serve others. It was his life to be a blessing to others. He came not to be served, but he came to serve us. What kind of an amazing God do we have that wanted to serve us? Usually the king is the one who is served. But our king came so that he could serve us. He died so that we could be new people. What an amazing God we serve. And even here in the Old Testament, Solomon makes the choice to say, I want to serve other people. I want to be a blessing to your people. And I I love his humility. He said, I'm like a little child who doesn't really know what he's doing. How many of you have ever felt like that before? If you've ever been in leadership, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You never feel adequate. You never feel capable. You always feel like, Lord, I can't do this. And in a sense, that's good because you have to depend upon his strength and his ability to get through it. The moment you start thinking, I got this, God, you're in trouble. (laughs) You've got problems. Our safest place is a place of weakness. Now, you understand that that's not what the world teaches. The world teaches be strong, be powerful, have great ability, show great confidence. You can do it. But here, Solomon gives us a great life lesson of saying, you know, I don't really know what I'm doing. And because of that, Lord, I need your help. I need the wisdom to govern your people. I need your wisdom to know right and wrong. There are a lot of things that we have a hard time understanding what's right and wrong. And you need God's wisdom. I need God's wisdom to discern between right and wrong, between good and bad. You know, if it's written in the Word and it's in black and white, it's kind of easy what, what is good and bad. But, you know, there are a lot of things that are kind of not written in the Word, especially in today's world. And we have to have God's wisdom to say, Lord, what is your plan? What is your will? How do I do this? And I want to just encourage you, the first life lesson from Solomon that he demonstrated, and that is it was a choice to serve. And I want to encourage you, if you want to be blessed and if you want to be satisfied, it's kind of interesting because everybody's looking to be satisfied. And they're looking for all these things in the world, and they want to be satisfied. They want to be fulfilled. And the only way you can be fulfilled is to serve others. It is one of the secrets of life that some people spend their whole life and they never figure it out. They think more toys, (laughs) more money, more position, more power, more titles. They think the more they get, the more they will be satisfied. But the truth of it is, it's not true. And that is the only way you can really be satisfied is to serve others. So that's the first life lesson. And I wished I could tell you that Solomon lived this way the rest of his life. (laughs) I wish I could tell you that Solomon was humble and meek and gentle and 
asked to serve the people and asked to serve God. But I can't say that. But we can learn from his mistakes. The second thing, and that is effective leadership can be nullified by an ineffective personal life. You see, Solomon made a mistake that people are making even today. They, people believe that their personal life has nothing to do with, quote, their public life. We hear politicians say this all the time. Hey, what I do in my personal life, that has nothing to do with what I do as a politician. And I just want you to say your personal life affects everything. It affects your judgment. It affects the testimony you have. Everything in our life is connected. And Solomon made a terrible mistake. And I have to say, that's amazing considering what it says about him. I just want you to look at some of the things it says about Solomon. Kind of a brief testimony about his life. It's in 1 Kings chapter 4, and let's just begin at verse 29. It's really amazing. God gave Solomon very great wisdom, understanding, knowledge as vast as the sands of the seashore. In fact, his wisdom exceeded that of all the wise men of the east and the wise men of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan the Ezraite and the sons of Mahal, Heman, Kekal, and Darda. His fame spread throughout all the surrounding nations. He composed 3,000 proverbs. And wrote 1,005 songs. He could speak with authority about all kinds of plants. From the great cedar of Lebanon to the tiny hyssop that grows in the cracks in the wall. He could speak about animals, birds, small creatures, and fish. And kings from every nation sent their ambassadors to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. Now, is that a pretty good testimony? This guy knew a great deal. But just because you know a lot does not mean that you live the right way. Because he didn't listen, even though he knew all this, he didn't listen to the words of his father. His father, David, gave him a great encouragement right before David died. Look at this encouragement. It's in 1 Kings 2. This is David speaking to Solomon. He says, I'm going where everyone on earth must go someday. Take courage and be a man. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all His ways. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all that you do wherever you go. If you do this, then the Lord will keep the promise He made to me. He told me if your descendants live as long as they should and follow me faithfully with all of their heart and soul, one of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. Great promise. But there was an if there. (laughs) If you walk in the ways of the Lord. And a man who could talk about any subject in the world, who could write Proverbs, he's also a man that couldn't remember what his daddy told him. His daddy said, you need to follow God, you need to serve God, and you need to be careful to walk in God's ways. And if you do, you'll be successful in all you do. 
And here's an interesting fact. We have records of Solomon in 1 Kings and in 1 Chronicles. Both in Chronicles and Kings, it talks about King Solomon. Here's the interesting thing. What I'm about to read you is only in Kings. 1 Chronicles does not mention anything bad that he did. It's like it was whitewashed. (laughs) Just wiped out. Maybe his uncle or something wrote it. I don't know. But it was just, just left out. Look what is written about him in 1 Kings chapter 11. It's amazing, actually, if you think about it. He says, Now Solomon, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughters, he married many women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord clearly instructed the people of Israel, You shall not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. Oh, my goodness. I don't even want to say what I'm thinking. My wife said, don't you dare say that, Renee. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord, his God, as his father David had been. Solomon worshipped Ashtoreth the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable gods of the Ammonites. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. On the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, he even built a pagan shrine for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and another for Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. You might remember them. That, that's the one that sacrificed their children upon the altar. Solomon built such shrines for all of his foreign wives who used for burning incense and sacrificing to their gods. The Lord was very angry with Solomon, for his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. He had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods, but Solomon did not listen to the Lord's commands. God appeared to him personally two times and warned him two times and the very first thing that comes to my mind is what is going on with Solomon why did he do this what was his thinking well first of all it was a common practice forbidden by the Lord but it was a common practice to marry the wife of a foreign Uh, marry the daughter of a foreign king for an alliance. Now, some might say, hey, it's okay because he produced peace and they didn't have any war while Solomon was king. And the reason they didn't have war is because he married the daughters of all the kings around him. And it kind of knit them together and they couldn't go to war. He sacrificed obedience to the Lord for peace, for the image of tranquility. And Solomon believed a lie. He believed this small area of disobedience about marrying foreign wives. God said, don't do it because they'll turn your heart. He thought to himself, it won't do me. It won't affect me. I want to tell you, how many times have you believed that lie? 
you've had a friend or you've gone someplace or you've been with someone and you thought to yourself, they're not going to affect me. They're not going to influence me. I'm going to be able to do that and it's not going to hurt me. So many times we have believed that lie. You see what happens is once you open that door, your heart becomes desensitized to what sin is. And you begin welcoming and accepting sin. And Solomon didn't walk away from God in one night. It was a slow process of his wives, foreign wives, who served all these false gods, detestable gods. And if you read a lot about these gods, they followed abominable practices. So vile, I don't even want to speak of them. And Solomon believed it won't hurt me. It won't affect me. And maybe you have believed a lie about some friends that you run with. Maybe you have believed the lie, well, that friend, I know they do this, and I know they do that, and I know that's not right. It's not going to affect me. You're believing a lie. Your friends will influence you. They will. It may be small. It may be incremental. But they influence you. That is the reason God calls us to have friends that love God. Not because we think we're so holy, but because He wants us to love God and He wants them to love God and He wants other people to encourage us. We need to have people around us that encourage us to walk in the ways of the Lord. And you need to be in a way that you will encourage them to walk in the way of the Lord. That's just the way it is. And yet Solomon... He didn't believe that. And you know, for a long time, I, I said, well, I guess, I guess Solomon, it was all about the foreign wives who turned his heart. But then this last week, I was reading another verse, and something else jumped out at me that I had somehow missed. And that leads to the third life lesson And that is a small area of disobedience can lead us down the wrong pathway. I want you to look at 1 Kings 3.3. It says, and Solomon, this is the very beginning. Verse 3.3. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statues of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. Interesting. It was a common practice, unfortunately. It was a practice they picked up from other foreign nations. And you say, well, what's going on here exactly? Well, this is what was going on. God said, you will only sacrifice at the temple in Jerusalem. It was forbidden to do so in any other place. Incense was only to be offered to the Lord right there under the auspices of the priest who would make sure that you're serving the Lord God and following His ways. But what began to happen in Israel 
is everybody began to set up their own, quote, high places and different hills, and they would set up their own little place of incense and worship. And they would say, we're going to do this for the name of the Lord. But then what would happen, because there was no nobody around to kind of guard that, then they would begin to introduce other gods. And they would burn incense to other gods. And they would, they would some of them, they would burn incense to the Lord God. And then right alongside, they would begin to burn incense and sacrifice to foreign gods. And if you're kind of doing your own thing out there all by yourself, nobody was there to say, no, 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 you can't do that. And Solomon, it says, he followed in the ways of the Lord except, except he decided to go along with this practice. And I tell you, when I read that, I was reminded how little things open the door to big things. How small areas begin to get into our heart. And again, we believe that lie, it's not going to hurt me. How many times has someone said, well, you know, I'm going I'm to watch those R-rated movies and it's just got little, just a little bit of nudity in it. And you say, well, it's not pornographic. It's just a little bit of nudity. And you open that door just a little. And you think it doesn't hurt anything. But then a little bit later... Once you've rationalized one area of sin, it's just a small stretch to begin to get into greater sin. And then all of a sudden, pornography, small amounts of pornography, and then all of a sudden, before you know it, you're hooked. You're you're hooked. It's like a big snare that grabs you and hooks you. You play with it, and then it's got you. And it's not just pornography. Little lies lead to big lies. Little gossip leads to slander and murder. Little things open the door for greater things. And in Solomon's life, he opened the door. So if you want to know Okay, why in the world would the wisest man in the whole world, according to the Bible, why would the wisest man in the world disobey God's word when it came to foreign wives? Well, he had already opened the door here by sacrificing in a small area and burning incense in high places that was forbidden. He already was there. So when it came time and he made the decision to marry that first foreign wife, and it actually tells us the first wife that he married was the daughter of Egypt. And that first decision was probably made convenient because he was already sacrificing in the high places. 
He was already burning incense and disobeying God in those areas. And maybe he thought, well, nobody really knows. That's a lie we believe. Nobody really knows. You know, if everybody in here, if if none of us know what you're doing, it's still important. If no one knows, and you think, well, my wife doesn't know. God knows. He knows. And your heart begins to be stretched and turned away from the Lord. You know, it it even tells us that Solomon built these shrines and worship temples. He even set them up right outside the temple of the Lord. So that you could conveniently worship all these other gods as you're walking into the temple of the Most High God. As if you could make a choice to just kind of worship whatever God you want to on the way to worship the one true God. And he did it to please his wives. You know, God was not being picky when he said don't marry foreign wives. He was doing it because he knew that people will influence us and turn us away from God. That's important. And that that leads you really to the fourth thing that is so important. And that is being unequally yoked will influence us. You see, that's what we're talking about. We're unequally yoked. That's what happened to King Solomon. He became unequally yoked. And look, if you would, jump all the way into the New Testament and see what the New Testament says about this. You see, it mattered in the Old Testament. It mattered in the New Testament. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness. And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial, which was another name for Baal or a false god? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Being unequally yoked is a big deal. And I can't tell you how many times... We've had somebody say, well, Brother Nate, I'm marrying, uh, I've been dating this unbeliever and and, and I'm going to marry them. uh, And I know the Bible says that that's not good, but I believe I'm going to win them to the Lord. Famous last words. You're inviting yourself to a lifetime of heartache. That's just the truth. Now, sometimes do they get saved? Yes. That's the good news. Sometimes that happens. But when God said don't do it, he was trying to spare us from a lifetime of heartache and difficulty and the potential 
of them turning your heart away from God. So it matters. The principle here matters. You know, it's interesting. It says that Solomon wrote 3,000 Proverbs. We actually, on Wednesday night, we're going through the book of Proverbs that he wrote the majority of that. He wrote the Song of Solomon. It's a powerful uh, love story. And he wrote Ecclesiastes. And I, I call Ecclesiastes your self-examination book for Solomon. He looked at his own heart. And this was written right near the end of his life. It's the last thing he wrote. And he looked at all the different things that he had done. And he looked at his heart. And, and as you, and it's kind of depressing, really, if you read Ecclesiastes. Woe is me, despair, despair, all is vanity. It really is kind of discouraging. Because as he looked at his life, he was the wealthiest man in the whole world. And they say comparatively, if you compared apples to apples with wealth, he probably was the wealthiest man that has ever lived. Gold became common like brass because he had so much of it. And near the end of his life, near the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, he, he wrote in an interesting thing. These are probably the last three verses he wrote. Read with me. 12, 13, and 14. But my child, let me give you some further advice. Be careful. Writing books is endless and much study wears you out. Isn't that right, teachers? <laughs> and that's the whole story. Now here's my final conclusion. When it's all said and done... Fear God and obey His commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good and bad. Somehow He knew. He knew. He had wasted His life. If you're looking to make a lot of money here today, I just want to say to you that the wealthiest man who has ever lived was not satisfied with his wealth. The man who had more gold in the entire world was not satisfied. The man who had more wives than anybody that I can read about was not satisfied. So if you're thinking your satisfaction is going to come in a relationship, got news for you, it won't happen. It only comes through Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, He is the only one who can satisfy the deepest longing of our heart. You know, there's a passage I was reading again about the kings of Israel, and I happened upon a verse that Hananiah, the prophet, spoke to Asa. Asa had successfully defeated a million-man army because he depended upon the Lord. But near the end of his life, he made, a, he made a treaty with Ben-Hadad to get him out of trouble. And Hananiah the prophet came to him. It's in 2 Chronicles 16, 9. And he says this about God. He says, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth 
in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. And I read that again this week and I thought this, this morning, every heart, He's searching your heart. He knows who you are. He knows what you've been through. He knows where you've been. He knows the choices you've made. And right now, the Holy Spirit is searching your heart. He's probing your heart. What's he looking for? He's looking for hearts that are fully set on him. Saying, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. My, My eyes are on you. And I want to encourage you, don't make the mistake Solomon made. Don't gain everything and lose your own soul. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place, Holy Spirit. We welcome your presence. You've been with us in the worship. You've been with us as we've looked at the life of Solomon. And you, Lord, by the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit, have been speaking to hearts here. And there are some people here this morning, Lord, that you have been setting them up for a divinely orchestrated moment that would alter their life and change their life forever. And they would never be the same. And I thank you, Lord. No matter where we've been or what we've gone through, Lord, you love us and you care for us. And you want to draw us to you. And Lord, some in this room have been resisting what you, the Holy Spirit, have been trying to speak to us been doing everything we can to try and resist the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. We've been saying, no, 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 I, I can't handle that. I don't want to do that. And this morning, God wants you to know. He only calls you to do those things that are good for you. He only calls you to do those things that are good for the kingdom of God. It's not about what we want. It's about what's good for our family, our home, the kingdom of God. And today, the Holy Spirit says, yield to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Stop resisting. Stop digging in your heels and saying, Lord, I want to do it my way. The Lord wants to divinely orchestrate a new direction in your life. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet if you would. The worship team is going to sing. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of can make me all again nothing but the blood of 
Father, draw by your Holy Spirit hearts this morning to be willing to surrender to you. I'm going to ask you this morning, you've been resisting the work of the Holy Spirit in your life today. He calls you to surrender and say, Lord, your way and not mine. Your plan and not my plan, Lord. For some of you, you need to accept Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. That's a divinely orchestrated moment. You've had parents and family and friends praying for you, praying for this moment for you to come to Jesus and acknowledge Him as Lord. We're going to sing this again. And as they sing that, I'm going to ask you, if you've been resisting the Lord and today God is speaking to you to yield, I'm not sure what that means, but you're willing to yield to Him and say, Lord, here I am. I'll do what you ask. And then others of you, you need to come to Jesus this morning. You need to be born again by the Spirit of God. We're going to sing. I'm going to ask you to make your way out of your seat. Stand right here with me. I want to pray with you. Would you come? Would you respond to the work of the Holy Spirit? I don't know what God is doing in your life, but would you come? Yes. Come on down. Would you come? Say yes, Lord, your way and not my way. Help me, Lord. Thank you. Come on, young man. time, I want to say the Holy Spirit knocks on your door. He knocks on your door and He's saying now, today don't put it off. Don't harden your heart. It's never worth it. So much better to yield to His work in our life and say yes Lord. We're going to sing it again. I believe the Spirit of the Lord is saying there are other people. You need to turn your life over to Him. Let's sing it again. Would you respond this morning? Some of you are 
asking Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. Others are surrendering and saying, yes, Lord, whatever you want in my life. But let's pray. Young man, thank you for coming. It's an important decision. Would you just stretch out your hand and pray with these? It's a life-changing decision, heaven or hell decision. Let's pray out loud. Y'all pray with me if you would. Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I am a sinner. I can't save myself. I accept the blood of Jesus as forgiveness of my sin. Come into my heart, Lord. Change me, Lord. Make me a brand new person. Lord Jesus, this morning, I yield to you. I surrender my life to you, Lord. And say, not my way, but your way. Your plan, Lord, and not my plans. I surrender to you. And I trust you, Lord. You will work in my life. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.